All right, you guys can open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're back in that section. We'll be looking at um, the subject of oaths today. So, so far Jesus' pattern as he's gone through this has been to state the commandment uh, from the law that they're all familiar with and then drill down to the intended meaning. And so he would say, you've heard it said, don't commit murder, but I say, don't even have anger in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say, don't even have lust in your heart. And, and we, as we've already seen, this does two things. One, it crushes those who think that they've been doing a good job of keeping the law so that they know they can't accomplish the, the holiness and the righteousness that, that God requires. And two, it shows us really the heart of God, what he desires for his creation, how he wants us to be. So we get both of those things. And the good news is that Jesus has fulfilled that for us if we'll trust him in, in this, you know, if we receive that by faith. He's fulfilled these things that we can't do on our own. So this morning we're going to see that we, one, we fall short in the area of keeping our word and fulfilling the oaths that we make. And then two, we're going to see how Jesus is willing to, to step in um, and meet that standard for us, for those who come to him by faith for salvation. And then because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, we as kingdom people should then reflect that into the world. It's kind of neat when we see it and when we get the opportunity to do it. So he's imputed this righteousness to us. It should be evident to others. So um, in our text today, Jesus is going to be keying in on two different commandments that we're familiar with. The ninth commandment of you shall not bear false witness or lie. And the third commandment, which is don't take the Lord's name in vain. He's addressing people that were doing both of those things. They, They were swearing oaths in God's name and then they weren't keeping them. That's a problem. Uh, but what they'd done is they twisted it in a way that they, they, they felt good about it. So even though they were making oaths in God's name and not keeping them, they found a way to, to, to get away with it and, and feel great. Um, and whether we like to admit it or not, this is something we're all pretty good at. I'm, I'm really good at justifying my bad behavior and somehow making myself feel good about it. I can either ju- you know, just find a way to excuse it or I can find some, somehow to make it your fault and not my fault. You know, we're, we're creative when it comes to this kind of stuff. And these guys were extremely creative. And that's why Jesus wants to, to basically use these things as a mirror to hold up in front of us to show us what we're actually like so that we see our true predicament, so that we can't escape the reality of how, how we fall short in this. And this is actually incredibly gracious of, of our Lord to do this for us because it should cause us when we see that to flee to him as our solution, to realize, oh, I'm in trouble and, and flee to him for salvation. So we're going to read in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33, and it says this. Again, you have heard it said that it was to those of, or to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the, to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let whatever you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So let's start out by kind of taking, you know, looking at the problem that Jesus is addressing. Because if you're like me, it's very easy um, to, to see a topic like making an oath and quickly distance myself from it. Well, I don't, I don't make a lot of oaths, so this doesn't apply to me, right? Or you know how we do that with sermons? It's very easy for us to, to hear a sermon and think, oh, that would be great for somebody else. And, and I, I t- we tend to do that. Um, this doesn't apply to me. So, but, but I would say not so fast. Let, let's take a closer look to see what they were doing and see if maybe it does hit closer to home than we think. Um, oaths really were just simply a way to guarantee something. 
We might be more comfortable with the words vow or promise, but they all kind of imply the same idea. So it used to be common practice in our day to, to ratify a deal with a handshake. You know, we, we talk about that like it was the good old days. My word is my bond. And back, you know, I, I'm pretty sure people got taken advantage of back in the day with a handshake too. And there's probably still some old school businessmen that do it this way. But now we use contracts because, because the days of my word is my bond, you know, you, you, don't, you can't take that to court. But a contract, you can. So, so that's kind of the way we do things. And the Old Testament is filled with different kinds of oaths and vows that people would make before God that guaranteed they would fulfill their pledge or keep their promise. And we see all kinds of examples of that. The problem that Jesus is addressing here is that somewhere along the line, the Jewish rabbis began to teach that oaths may or may not be binding depending on uh, who you swore on or what you swore on. Okay, so they created loopholes so that you didn't have to honor your vow. Now, this reminds me of something we did as kids. I think you probably are all familiar with this. If you wanted somebody to believe you, but you had no intention of keeping your promise or fulfilling your vow, uh, there was a foolproof method that worked every time. I don't know, you guys remember what it was? Yeah, you cross your fingers. <laughs> And somehow this worked. I don't know how we got away with it. And then we got more creative because people started looking for the fingers. You know, you put it behind your back and you'd be, and then it would be like you'd cross your eyes or, you, you know, you just kind of, your legs or your, we, we, we found a way. I don't know how it worked, but, but it was kind of one of those things where when you did it, the person would be like, oh, you got me. I guess you don't have to keep your word, you know, your fingers were crossed. You know, that's only fair. This is exactly the kind of stuff that Jesus was addressing that these guys were doing. And that's why he talks about not swearing by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem, but by your own head. So, for instance, the stuff they were doing, they would say, okay, um, I would swear by Jerusalem. Well, that wasn't binding. But if, you, but if I said I swear toward Jerusalem, that was. Or if you swore, I, I swear by the temple, that wasn't binding. But if you said I swear by the temple's gold, then, it, then you were stuck. So it's silly, kind of, but that's what they were doing. And they even taught that if you didn't include God's name or imply God's name, it didn't matter if you kept the oath. So that's what they were doing. In other words, they found creative ways to lie, to get away with it, and to feel just fine about it. And isn't that really what we all like to do with our, you know, the, the things we We've do wrong? We've been doing that since the beginning of time. And it, it sounds great. Lie, get what you want, and suffer no consequences, right? So you got to say, well, I wonder what God thinks about these tactics, well, we don't have to wonder because listen to what Jesus says in response to all of this in Matthew 23. He addresses the, the, the people that were teaching these things. And he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift, on the, or the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits upon it. So he's basically saying, guys, there is no loophole. Whatever you think you found, it's not real. You aren't getting away with anything because no matter what you swear on, it all belongs to God. You belong to God. So it, it really doesn't matter. Ultimately, if, you, if you're making an oath, you're, you're swearing to God. He's behind that somewhere. So I, I think it's funny that we think we can trick God somehow. We can, we can do this kind of a thing where we say, sorry, God, you know, I had my legs crossed and you didn't notice. So 
I don't have to do this. I don't think that's going to work with God because the Bible tells us very clearly that God is not mocked. He will not be mocked, right? According to Proverbs 12, 22, God says he hates lying lips. He does not like it when people are dishonest. It, it says they're an abomination to him. He hates it when we find ways to be disobedient and, and pretend like we're being obedient. And that's exactly what they were doing here with the law. They, they came across a challenging law that they knew they couldn't keep. And so rather than admit they couldn't keep it, they just found a way to make it manageable. So it, it, it kind of seemed like they were. And, and that made it okay. You know, we, we like to find ways to break the law and feel good about it, don't we? It's like, oh, well, you know, they don't really mean 55. They mean five miles over, 10 miles over. Most of the time, you want, we, we do that kind of thing. We always try to stretch it out a little further. And then when the radar detectors made it So God is very clear about how he feels about all this. But the religious leaders somehow, again, just like the crossing your fingers thing, they were able to convince the people that the truth is a gray area. It's okay to stretch it. It's okay to find a way out. There's flexibility when it comes to honesty. But that's not, that's not it. And we can look at that and think, these guys are the worst. I can't believe how bad they were. But this is where Jesus would pull out the mirror of the law and hold it up in front of you and say, okay, wait a second. It's not just them, it's you too. And this is where, you know, that's where it starts to get uncomfortable for me. We find ways to do the exact same thing and feel good about it. Now, we may not take the kind of oaths that they took and, that, and do that kind of thing, but we still find creative ways to, to deceive people you know, and then come up with creative ways to kind of get away with it. Uh, uh, or we even have to somehow find, find ways to let people know when we're really telling the truth as opposed to when we're not. So I know my, my brother and his wife, when they first got married, th they would tell each other things. And if they, if they weren't sure if the other person was telling the truth, they would say God's truth. They would always ask that God's truth. And that would be the way to find out if it was real. And we, we might do the kind of thing where we, we would say, do you swear on your mother's grave or, or something like that? Um, one of the weirdest ones to me is still the... Um, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. It's like, who came up with that? I'd almost rather come, come away with the consequence than, than something like that. I got called out years ago by a friend. Um, I, I used to say two phrases. Um, I would say, to be honest or to tell you the truth. And I thought, it just came out of me. And so one day he came up to me and said, so is it safe to assume that normally you're lying through your teeth when you don't say those things, but when you do say those things, we can, we can believe you. So I've really tried hard to stop saying them. I don't mean to do it, but to tell you the truth, and it's like, oh, okay, this time he's, he's like, you know, that's not how it should work. People shouldn't have to try to figure out when we're telling the truth and when we're lying. It shouldn't be that, that difficult. One of my favorite things ever was I had a, a, some friends who were young parents, and they told their kids that whenever they lied, God made a, a, a visible L appear on their tongue. And so when the, if they thought their kids were lying, they would say, stick out your tongue, let me see. And if they weren't lying, they would immediately stick it out to show them, you know, to prove their innocence. But if they were lying, they would, they would clasp their hands over their mouth, like, you're not going to get a look at this thing. But the ironic thing, the ironic thing even in that is the parents were lying to the children to find out if the kids were lying. See how we do these things, right? Crazy. So it's messed up that we have to resort to goofy tactics and... And, and things like this to, to find out if somebody's telling the truth or not. And so this begs the question, why do we have to swear on things? Why do we make oaths? Why do we have contracts? Why do we have polygraph machines and things like that? And the, and the sad but true answer is that because we really have a hard time being honest. People have a difficult time telling the truth. And it's no secret that today the truth is hard to come by. I, think, I can't think of a time when I've probably been more skeptical or cynical, and I'm always a little cynical, but, but I, don't, I find it hard to believe anything anymore. Um, I, I, in part because people are deceived, and, and deceived people will tell you things they think are true, 
believing that they are, and, and it, it's, you know, you know them, they said it, it's like, oh, that must be true. And often, so we've got that problem. And then we have the problem that people are deceivers. There's people out there that are actively trying to deceive us, and they're good at it. And so we have both of those things happening. So anymore, I don't trust the media. I know you guys probably all feel that way, but I would say I don't trust either side. You know, some of you say, well, I don't trust, you know, CNN's the worst, but I love whatever. I don't trust any of it. I know that they all have an agenda. They all have something they're trying to convince you of. So I just, I'm very skeptical. You know, maybe we're, maybe true, may not. I don't know. I don't trust, um, I'm, you know, when I think about like the old news, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I miss Walter Cronkite. Remember, remember those days? Okay. It, it just felt like it, it wasn't, there wasn't, it didn't seem like there was an agenda. Now maybe there was, and I was deceived, but it sure felt like they were just reporting facts. And I like that. I, those days are, are gone, I think, but you know, I'm hesitant to see what, what you see on the internet. I don't believe it anymore. They just, I just saw this thing recently that came out and, and it, it, it was pretending to be a document that was really old, but the font they used was actually a font that didn't exist in that time. And it was just a fake. And even there's even, I don't know if you've seen these things, they're called deep fakes. And so it'll, it'll look like Tom Cruise's face and it'll look like him talking. It'll sound like him and it's not him at all. And, and it's, I mean, even the, the deep fake basically means really good deception. And we get excited about it. Man, have you seen the latest deep fake? It's like, that's crazy. But that's what they do. I don't believe, and I'm, you know, I don't believe what politicians say. Uh, you remember the old adage, you know how to tell if a politician is lying? Yeah, his lips are moving, right? Again, because again, there's this, they want control. They want power. There's always an agenda at stake. And so they will tell you things that they have to tell you. And they will, you know, deception is, is real. I even remember as a parent getting to that point where I, I recognized that I couldn't trust my kids. And that's kind of a hard thing for parents to get to. When they were little, they, you know, they lied and stuff. And I, that was one thing. But even when they got older and they started to misbehave, I always wanted to believe the best about them, and I always wanted to believe they weren't capable of stuff. And I remember at that point where I just realized, you could probably tell me anything about my kids, and I'd say it's, it's possible. <laughs> that could be true, because they were just little stinking liars. And, and, and when, you're, when you're in self-preservation mode, you, you do what you have to to stay out of trouble, right? I, I do it, so why would I expect them not to? So, and now what we've done as a society is we've leveled up to a point where we've actually made truth not a thing anymore. It's not even a possibility to get to truth. So, so we, we now have this idea of you can have your truth and it can be different from my truth. It's just become subje subjective. So if you think two plus two equals four, that's your truth. I think it's five. And, and, I and it's, it's, it's like, you can't do that. There's no standard for truth anymore when we start to do that. It's like all bets are off. And when you get to that point, you can begin to justify anything and everything to do what you want to do. Um, and that's exactly what Jesus is addressing in this sermon. They were finding a way to get to, you know, to do exactly what they, what they wanted, lying about it, and still being okay with it. And, and I, couldn't, I couldn't help but think of uh, George Costanza's famous line in Seinfeld. He's like, remember, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it's not a lie. You know, if you believe it, it's not a lie. And it's like, that's not a thing. But I, it was funny at the time, and now I see people doing it. It's like, all right. So we have to have a reliable standard of truth. It's very important, and that's what God's word is. You, know, you have to have a plumb line, something that you can, you can measure other things against to find out if it's true or not, and that's what, that's what his word is. Um, God's word is truth. Jesus said, God, sanctify them by your truth, uh, and, and this is what we have to re rely upon. Everything else we may or may not be able to trust, this we can trust, and so if it doesn't line up against this, it's not, it's not true. 
And I'm glad we do have a standard of truth because otherwise, again, like I said, all bets are off. So, so this brings us to the question of why we don't tell the truth. Why do we have such a hard time? Why do we make promises we don't intend to keep? Why do we do this? And it really comes down to two things, to get things we want or to avoid things we don't want. That's why we do it. It's one of those things. So, so when you go to, you know, you're, you're going to put your resume together and you, you put a little extra something, something in there so that the boss might want to hire you. It's, it's okay to do that. You want something. So you, you lie a little. Or, you know, it's uh, maybe a better tax return. You know, that's, that's one that we're all kind of, uh, you know. We lie to get out of difficult situations or conversations. I can remember doing that thing, like tell, tell them I'm not here. When the phone call comes in, hey, tell them, tell them I'm out of the office right now. I'm at lunch. That's a lie. Or you don't want to do something. You say, I've got plans. No, you don't. You don't have any plans. You just don't want to go. But you, you lie because you don't want to do it. We lie to please people. We tell people what they want to hear. Uh, we do it to impress people. I can't tell you how many times it's second nature. I don't even think about it. It just pops out of my mouth. I'll go to a place. There's another pastor there I respect, and he'll say something like, oh, have you ever read Dietrich Bonhoeffer? And I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, sure. And then later I go and Google Dietrich Bonhoeffer, like, who is this guy? I don't know. I know who he is. But, but I don't want the guy to think I'm an idiot. So the first thing that comes to my mouth is like, sure I have. He wouldn't care if I read him or not. But this thing comes out of me that just pops out. Yep, sure, I've done that. No, you haven't. I don't know why we do these things. You know, and, and obviously we do it to get out of trouble. Um, if, you're, if you know you're going to get in trouble, it's just easy to say something to try to get out. That's human nature. And then we'll try to even convince ourselves that it's our best option. You know, lying's really the best thing I could do here. I didn't want to hurt the person. You know, somebody, you know, like, isn't this the most beautiful baby you've ever seen? And you think, you, you know, you can't, you don't have to be mean, but you can say something like, ah, oh, aren't all babies precious? You know, you didn't lie, but... But you didn't be like, no, that's a bad, that's a bad example. But, but we always think we're, we're doing somebody a favor by lying. We're doing, we're, we're helping and it's not, or we'll say, we're just fibbing. You know, have you done that? You know, we're fibbing. You should have known. You should have known I was fibbing. This is on you, not me. No, you're the liar. They didn't do anything wrong. You can't just say I'm fibbing or I love the white lie thing. That's just a little white lie. What does that mean? But we do it exaggerating. That's the other one too. You know, how big was that fish actually? You, you, you know, we all have these moments where we do this. Even somebody asked me how big the church is. And, and this is one of those things that I always want to say, you always want to exaggerate the number, you know, again, because it reflects on us, I guess, or whatever. How big is your church? 200 people, 300? Oh, do you mean from the time we started? Like how many people have come through the doors? Or do you mean who's coming right now? It's, it's easy to do. And it, it, it can become such a habit for people that without even thinking about it, they lie. It just comes out, second nature. And after a while, you'll even begin to believe them yourselves if you get good enough at it. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that it's, it's just a pathological liar. It's, it's a pretty scary thing. And it's not too far away from where we would land if we, if we weren't careful. So why is it such a big deal? You know, we already said that God hates it. We know it's a sin. We know that he hates lying lips. But, but that idea of betraying somebody's trust over and over and over again you know, they'll tell you, oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to do it different this time. Um, hey, guys, I'm sorry, but it's, this is hard to do. It's way harder if you guys are talking. So help me out, please. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you know, it hurts people. It betrays trust. It, it, uh, it's like that idea of the boy who cried, cried wolf. Eventually, have you ever gotten to the point where people wouldn't believe you anymore? You know, I have people in my life that I'm, I'm that way. I, you know, it's like I hope they're telling the truth. I hope that what they say is going to pan out, but it probably won't. And that's a really bad place to get to. So, so you know, the, the idea that it betrays people, that it hurts people, ultimately what it does is it just shows a lack of trust in God. If we feel like we have to do that, we have to lie, 
we're not trusting God and we're not really fulfilled in God and we're profaning his name. And that's what the, the section that Jesus actually is, is quoting is from Leviticus 19. And it says, you shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. We really denigrate him when we lie. So in essence, this is what Jesus is saying in this passage. You have heard it said, don't make an oath that you don't intend to keep. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all. That's kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? Why would he say, don't, don't even take an oath? Well, there's two reasons I can think of. The first one is because you stink at it. You stink at, at keeping oaths. That's the first reason. And the second one is because oaths really shouldn't even be necessary. You shouldn't have to come to that. So, the, you know, it's not a coincidence that this comes right after the section on divorce because everybody who's gotten married has made vows before God, right? 32 years ago uh, on Thursday, my wife and I were married um, 32 years and I made these vows to joy. Some of you guys made these vows as well. Uh, I take you to be my lawfully wedded husband or wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. I made those vows. I haven't kept those vows perfectly according to what we've just read in the presentations of Matthew. And when we talk about anger, when we talk about lust, when we talk about adultery, all these things, when I, if I'm being honest with myself, I have not done a good job at keeping these vows. I am a, I am a vow breaker, not a vow keeper. Even in, even in something like that. Now, praise God, we've been married 32 years. We're still married. I love my wife. You know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we're doing fine. That wasn't a, you know, a, a plea for help. But, but I know I don't do a good job of this. Do you guys remember Promise Keepers? This is a perfect example of it for me. It was a, it was a big men's movement in the 90s. Um, they would ask Christian men to make seven promises. And, and these were basically the promises. Commit to honor Jesus Christ. Commit to pursue vital relationships. Commit to practice spiritual, moral, ethical, and sexual purity. Commit to build strong marriages and families. Commit to support the mission of his church. Uh, commit to reach beyond any racial and denominational barriers for unity. Commit to influence his world through the great commandment and the great commission. Now, those are all really great things to commit to, are they not? Shouldn't every Christian want to commit to these things? I remember the last day of the conference, they asked all the men to take off their shoes. They said, we're standing on holy ground, take off your shoes, and we're all going to commit to these promises. And as I stood there among all these men with their shoes off, which is kind of weird, but um, they all were repeating these vows. And I remember just standing there thinking, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I know who I am. I might make it a, a month, maybe. I might make it a week. Probably won't make it, you know until I get home from this thing. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to be able to do this. And it was, it was depressing to see all these guys doing it. And I thought it was just a weakness in me, but now I realize we just, we're all that way. And Jesus is addressing this. I can't even keep a New Year's resolution. I quit making them a long time ago because I'm maybe, maybe a week. And then I'm like, ah, I'm out. I just I tap out. Jesus knows that we're not promise keepers. And he knows that we're not sovereign over outcomes. This is another thing that's super important. When he says that you can't even, you're going to make a, a, a vow involving your own head, you can't even change a hair from like black to white. And you're going to put, you're going to put your head on the chopping block? Does that make any sense? Now, some of you are going, I change the color of my hair all the time. I don't, I don't, think, that, I don't think that counts here. The idea is you, don't, you can't control the outcome of these things. There's a story in the Old Testament in Judges chapter 11 of Jephthah. And, and, and people, some people think that, um, I don't know, it's the story about basically he made this bargain with God that 
if you help us defeat the Ammonites, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes through my door to greet me when I get home. And his daughter comes out to greet him. I don't think it's human sacrifice. And I can go into that with you guys later. I think, I think basically she went out to, to mourn her virginity. I think he was committing her to the service of the Lord. She wasn't going to get married. I don't think there was death involved in this. Uh, Jephthah's even, and I'll just give you a quick reason why. His, his name is even mentioned in, in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith. A guy who commits child sacrifice I don't think would be in that list. So I think it's something else here. But the point remains, he made a foolish vow. He didn't know what was going to come through that door or who was going to come through that door. And his daughter came through. You know, we don't know the future. We should be very careful about the things that we, we promise before God. So this section ends in verse 37 by, by Jesus saying, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything else comes from evil. And that's quite a statement. If we have to resort to swearing oaths to get people to believe us, Jesus says it comes from evil. Satan was a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. And in James 5, it actually paraphrases this, this, this idea. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. <laughs> right? In other words, oaths shouldn't be necessary. People should just do what is right, honor their words and commitments. Um, this is the heart of God for his creation. But as we already pointed out, we fail here, don't we? we? We stink at this. So now what? It's very tempting to hear a sermon like this and think, okay, from this point forward, it's the truth for me, you know, and, and you walk out kind of with that attitude. And, and you know what, though? In a day or a week, you're going to blow it again, and you're going to be defeated. And, and it's, so it, it's, it's it, you know, as, God, as God's redeemed people, we should absolutely desire that. Don't misunderstand me. If you don't desire integrity and honesty, that, that means something's off. If you're a Christian, you should desire this. If it's not there, it might mean Christ isn't there. Because I know before Christ, that didn't matter to me at all. I was more than happy to lie. It didn't bother me. It bugs me to no end now. But at some point, if you do blow it, now what? The point of Jesus' sermon is to show you that only he can fulfill what God requires. You won't be able to do it, but Jesus did. So we should never make promises. It's not telling us never to make promises or never to follow through with our, I mean, people are still going to have to make oaths. If you go to court, if you join the military, even if you, you know, when you go to put a new app on your phone, it tells you to check this box to commit to all this stuff. I mean, you, you, you won't be able to download another app if you don't make a promise of some kind. Some Christians have gone to that extreme, by the way. Um, they, they say never make an oath of any kind. Luther and Calvin both divided into private oaths and public oaths. I don't, I don't think that's the point. I think they just want, Jesus wants you to understand that he is your righteousness. He is your only hope of fulfilling this. We've been conditioned to believe that we play a part in earning God's favor and in keeping God's favor. And I, I don't know why this is, but we were even conditioned with this in school. I don't know if you remember the idea of the, remember the GPA, your grade point average? Um, the idea was that, you might not do really good in this subject, but, but if you did pretty good in this one, you could kind of bring it up to a level where you'd still graduate and, and succeed. I think that's what a lot of people think Christianity is. If you're going to, you know, maybe, maybe you're not really doing good in the honesty department, but I haven't gotten divorced, and I really don't get angry. So when the time comes, my GPA will be pretty good, and, and hopefully God grades on a curve and that kind of thing. You know, if we really buckle down and apply ourselves, God will. It, that, that's, that's why so many churches teach self-improvement courses, more or less. That, that's not going to help us. What Jesus is teaching us through this sermon is that our GPA isn't going to cut it. God doesn't grade on a curve, and even if he did, you'd be in trouble. 
And, and if you think about it, if it were possible for us to, to, to do this, to get God's favor, earn it, and keep it, why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he come at all? If we could, if we could find a way, we can't. That's why he came. So I just want to make sure you understand that you can't pass the test. Jesus can. You, if it comes down to, like, with him, A+. Plus. <laughs> Without him, F. That's, that's kind of the, that's the way it works. So since we are promise breakers, we're unreliable, we can't be counted on in that way, and God's standard is perfect, you know, perfection, integrity, honesty, what do we do? The mirror of the law is supposed to show you your true predicament. You fall short. Now what? Flee to Jesus. Flee to Jesus and he will become your promise keeper. Admit that you can't be perfect on your, on your own as your heavenly father is perfect, but Jesus can be. And once that happens, once we get to that point, that, then what Jesus is teaching here has had its effect because now we know we need God's grace. We know that Jesus is the answer and that's, that's the point he's trying to get to us. Confess your sin, confess your inability, confess all of these things and ask him to forgive you and he will. Trust in his work on the cross to save you. Bow before him as Lord. He will make you a new creation and fill you with his perfect righteousness. And, and the cool thing is as a new creature, we can walk in this new way. We can walk in a way that's different than we did before through his power that's free from guilt, that's free from condemnation, that doesn't, that doesn't put that burden of that weight of law on me. And the Holy Spirit begins to change the things that we want. So I said that we lie because we, we want something or we, we, we want to avoid something. The cool thing is that the Spirit changes these desires in us. And, and I love that. So it's a process for sure, and, and hopefully we're seeing progress, but, but is, it'll always be a struggle for us until king, the kingdom comes and we're in, fully realized in that. I remember just doing my taxes this year. I, we owed quite a bit of money, and I'm doing TurboTax, which is kind of, you know, it does most of it for you. But the cool thing is, you know, you can put numbers in and, and you can see the outcome, and then you can put different numbers in and you can see the outcome. And I found that if I just changed the numbers a little bit, that it, that it made a big savings for me. And I was, this is great. I really wanted more money back. I, we owed a lot this year, and I thought I found a loophole. And I remember struggling with that and thinking, I, I could do this. But then I just remember thinking, okay, what am I doing? Am I going to grieve my Lord to get some money? Am I going to trust in myself and my ability to, to get something? Or am I going to please my Lord and trust him with my finances? Even though it it's, doesn't make sense, you know, I could get a lot more and nobody would even maybe know. And it just felt so good to know that I didn't have to walk in that old way anymore. I could, I could just trust him. And that's really um, what it comes down to. Yeah, I want to drive this point home with one of my favorite accounts in the Bible. We're, we're going to close with this. But it's, it's when God made his covenant with Abraham. Because it, it really explains our need for Jesus to be our promise keeper. It's in Genesis 15, if you want to flip over there. God had promised Abraham that he was going to give him an heir. And that, that his descendants would be, they, they would number, you know, greater than the stars in the sky. The problem was that Abraham didn't have an heir yet. And so he wants to know from God, how is this going to happen? And how am, I, how am I going to know that you're really going to keep your oath, God? I think, I'm sure Abraham is like us. He's seen people break their oaths, break their oaths. And he's like, God, how can I trust that you're not going to break your oath? And so in Genesis 15 and in, in verse 8, it says, uh, O Lord, God, how, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How are you going to show me this? And God said, bring to me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, this sounds like a strange response 
from God. And how am I going to know? Bring me some animals. And, but Abraham's response is even more peculiar. In verse 10, it says, And he brought him all of these. He cut them in half, and he laid each uh, half over against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now, there's some pretty weird stuff going on here. Uh, God tells him to bring in various animals, and somehow Abraham knows exactly what to do with them, um, which, you know, that, that's weird. How would, how would you, would you have known what God wanted here? I would not have known to do this at all. All right, I'll just start cutting these in half and lining them, putting them in a nice, you know, thing with a path. We wouldn't have known that. But if God would have said, hey, get your, get your lawyer, have him drop some contracts and show up here tomorrow at noon, we would understand that. This is what they're doing, though. So, when Abraham um, asks if God tells him to do this, this is the way they carried out contracts. The, the cool thing about their contracts in their day is they carried more weight than ours do today because what they would do instead of signing their name to the piece of paper is they would actually act out what would happen to the person who broke the contract. And that's what they're doing here. So there's an example of this recorded for us in Jeremiah that kind of drives us home. In Jeremiah 34, it says, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. So this is what they were doing when they laid this contract out. It would certainly make you think twice about breaking your contract, wouldn't it? Um, you know, now it's just like, ah, oh, you know, I might lose a little money. No, this is, this is serious. And this is where the story takes on a great deal of meaning for me. In verse 12, back in Genesis 15, it says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the deep sleep, you know, it, we know he could still see what was going on and hear what was going on, but he basically is incapacitated. He's conscious but not doing anything. Verse 17 says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. So what is Abraham seeing here? The smoking pot and flaming torch were symbolic of God's actual presence. God uses the fire at the burning bush and the pillar of fire in a similar way. So what God is saying by walking through these pieces is this. If, you, or if, if I do not keep my promise to you, may what happened to these animals happen to me. Okay? May my body be broken and my blood shed. That's what God's doing by him walking through. Now, this is super encouraging to know that God did this, but for most of us, we're not worried about God, his part of the deal, right? <laughs> He's going to keep his part of it. We're worried about us, our part of it. And, and that's... That's where the next part comes in. Um, usually after the first part he walked through, then Abraham would walk through. Right? But where's Abraham right now? <laughs> He's comatose. He can't do anything. And so basically what's happening here is God walks through for Abraham. Um, by God walk, walking through for both of them, he's making an incredible statement. He's saying that he will be responsible for both parties. This is amazing, you guys. This means that He's not only saying, may this happen to me if I don't keep my end of the covenant, but may this happen to me if you don't keep the end of your covenant. Isn't that amazing? Because he knows we won't. Right? This is what Jesus has done. So then, you know, all these years later, darkness covers the land. Jesus goes to the cross and he fulfills that end of the covenant for us. What happened to us happened to him. Um, his body was broken. His blood was shed. He was forsaken to fulfill the covenant that we couldn't. And this is the good news of the fact that we aren't promise keepers. We aren't covenant keepers, but he is. And he's done that for you at the cross. Praise God that he has because we would have never made it otherwise. And that's why we, that's why we remember the table right now too. Jesus' body and blood for us. 
This is the good news of the gospel. This is for you, Christ for you. And I just am so thankful that he didn't leave it up to me because I would have messed it up. There was no way I could have ever bridged that gap. He did it for us. Are we thankful for that today? I hope so. This is an amazing, it's like the best news you'll ever hear. We don't have to keep it to ourselves, by the way. We get to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. So we're going to pray and then we're going to enjoy what Jesus has done for us. Father, thank you so much for being an oath keeper when we are not. Thank you that that you were willing to um, not only keep your end of the bargain, but keep our end of the bargain as well by, by sending Jesus to the cross. Thank you for his willingness to be there, to have his body broken and his blood shed, to fulfill that contract for us so that we can have life and that we can have you. Help us, Father, to walk in the newness of life that you've created for us, to to be people of integrity as a delight, Lord, not not as a way to earn your love because you've loved us. You've proven that by Jesus going to the cross, but as a way just to say thank you. So now as we we take the, the bread and the cup, may we worship you and may we be grateful for what you've done for us and uh, may we proclaim your great work until you come. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.